0: Everybody can agree like she's this prodigy with music and they know that she needs to be nurtured and take music lessons, but they just don't have the money for it. So the directors of the People's Chorus and the pastor of her church come together and they raise the money to get her singing lessons and to go to high school. She sought permission to perform at the Salzburg Festival and she was denied permission to sing. But because she was already so popular, she showed up anyway. And nice. the first night of the festival, she sang at this smaller concert hall. But then like the word spread like wildfire. And people started coming to see her at the smaller venues. And then they started moving her to, to bigger venues like a hotel ballroom. And then there were like hundreds of people showing up just to see her act of defiance and her amazing singing voice. And she was like one of the biggest hits of the festival. So
1: <laughs> take that. Germany.
0: Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women in history. I am Sarah Gorski.
2: I'm Sam Eggers.
1: And I'm
0: Chloe Skye. And today I am bringing you Marianne Anderson. Have you guys heard of Marianne Anderson?
2: Wait. Oh wait, you know what? For a second I thought, wait, Marianne Williamson?
0: Oh, yeah. No. It's yeah, like wait. Ooh, no, not Marian Williamson. Marian Anderson. That's M A R I A N. My first thought was
1: Gillian Anderson, so you
0: No. <laughs> no relation. I don't I don't, I don't think the,
1: I don't think they're the same person. Who's Marian no. Anderson, Sarah?
0: Well, she is an amazing broad. She is a singer, uh, and she's a black singer. Or she was. She is no longer on this earth. But she is a huge icon in um, the civil rights movement. Um, I don't want to, like, preemptively say the greatest peak of her accomplishments. I want to get to it organically in the story. So I'm just gonna jump right in and, and get going. So Marianne is born February 27th, 1897 in Philadelphia. Her dad sold ice and coal, uh, at the downtown train station, and eventually he opened his own liquor store. Her mom had attended seminary and worked as a teacher before she got married, but because of the racist laws in Philly, she couldn't teach there. I apparently in Philadelphia at the time you had to have a certificate, a teaching certificate, if you were black. But if you were white, it didn't matter. You didn't have to have a certificate. <laughs> oh geez. See, can you? Can you? What? What? The Sounds more I learn about, about right. all the racist laws of our country, the more I'm disgusted. So she, um, her mother, uh, ended up going into child care. She was a child care worker, and Marion is the eldest of three girls. And the whole family are devout Baptists. They're members of the Union Baptist Church in South Philly. Uh, and her aunt Mary, not to be confused with Marion, Aunt Mary encouraged. Marion to join the church choir. And she brought her around to all the local concerts, the church concerts, the YMCA, the benefits, and other community music events. And she just kind of like sparked this love of music in Marion. Uh, And when she's as young as six, Aunt Mary starts arranging for Marion to sing for local functions. So she would get paid like 25 to 50 cents to sing a couple songs at like local barbecues and local fundraisers and stuff like that. Little six-year-old Marion Anderson. Aww. <laughs> and, she, and she was good. She was really... I mean, that was why there was a recognized kind of natural gift and she starts singing with the church choir and and her Aunt Mary just kind of continues to nurture and nurture all of her singing. Um, And by by the time she was a teenager. Um, she was making four to five dollars per event, which back in that time period was the equivalent of like $105 today. So when she was a teenager, she was getting a hundred bucks per gig just singing at these like small local things. When she is 10, she joins the People's Chorus of Philadelphia and she had a lot of solos. Then when she's 12, her father dies in a terrible accident at work, uh, and her mother and sisters move in with her grandparents but they're super, super broke. Uh, And she had previously been attending school, but at this point, they just can't afford to send her to high school, nor pay for her music lessons, which everybody can agree, like she's this prodigy with music and they know that she needs to be nurtured and take music lessons, but they just don't have the money for it. Like her dad is dead and they just don't have enough income. So the directors of the People's Chorus and the pastor of her church comes together and they raise the money to get her singing lessons and to go to high school. Aww. So Aww. I, I love this part of the story so much. Um, and so she starts taking singing lessons from Mary Saunders Patterson and she starts attending South Philadelphia High School. Um, so the community just like lifts her up and supports all these gifts of hers and her education, which everyone just agreed they'd been hearing her sing for years and years now since she was six and they all just came together to support her. And I just love this so much.
1: <laughs> can't imagine <laughs> how much pressure she was feeling. Like, the whole community put all of their resources together for you. <laughs> you, you better I, you make know, something I, happen. I
0: didn't find any quotes from her about that. But I think... Uh,
1: I mean, I'm sure I she was super grateful. It's, you know, yeah. just, it's a lot of pressure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be a lot of pressure. But then also just what a... What an amazing gift to kind of carry with you, like the hope of the people Mm -hmm. that that brought you to the places you are. Just amazing. So anyway, after high school, she applies to the Philadelphia Music Academy, which is an all-white music school. But she's rejected because, uh, and this is a quote from from their uh, admissions department, quote, We don't take coloreds. Uh, So she's rejected from music school, but she keeps on studying on her own um, and with the community and church's help. And she eventually meets Giuseppe Boghetti. uh, She auditions for him, singing this rendition of Deep River. And he is blown away and apparently was brought to tears. She brings him to tears. uh, And he is super obsessed with how amazing she is and he arranges for her to have a concert in new york city in april this is april 1924 not many people attend and the reviews aren't great but it's kind of like the first start of her like getting out of philly um and then the following year in 1929 uh, i'm sorry 1925 marion wins a singing competition with the new york philharmonic And she gets to perform with them in August of uh, 1925. And the critics critics and audience love the concert. It's super well received. It gets rave reviews. Uh, And then she starts singing all around the U.S. She starts touring. But she hits uh, a ton of racial prejudice. There's a whole bunch of places that just won't let her sing at all. There's a bunch of hotel, she can't stay in the hotel rooms and eat at the restaurants. And there's just all this, all of these massive issues because of racism, and it kind of stilts. Like because of that, like she's successful, but then her success is like stilted, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. her career can't seem to grow very quickly, and she keeps running into all these issues. Um, she, despite all of that, she does um, sing at Carnegie Hall in 1928, um, and in 1929 she sings at Orchestra Hall in Chicago, and the reviews at Orchestra Hall are kind of Mixed, They're like, oh, she's amazing, but she seems not fully developed yet, <laughs> which is such a, such a weird music critic thing to say. Um, but at the same concert, it happens that there's two representatives from the Rosenwald Fund in the audience, and they think she is just amazing. And after the concert, they are like, Marianne, you have to apply for the Rosenwald Fellowship. And she gets it. And she is given $1,500, which is a lot of money compared to 1500 That's a lot of money back then, um, to go study in Berlin. Ooh. So she goes to Europe, and she begins her European tours and her European singing career, and she... Has huge success. Europe is far less racist than the U.S. is, so she like quickly gains po- popularity. She has a huge following very quickly in Scandinavia. They're like absolutely crazy about her. They had there's there was one <laughs> article that said she had that everybody had Marian fever, <laughs> even in like <laughs> these small towns and villages and stuff like that. They're just she sings and like sold out crowds. Everyone loves her.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, during uh, when well, she was in Salzburg at some point, and there, the conductor Arturo Toscanini told her she had a voice, quote, heard once in a hundred years. Mm. Wow. Um, That's a and so Yeah, she, so she goes, she spends quite a bit of time in Europe. Uh, she just, she was doing really well then. So even though Europe in general is much less racist than the U.S. is at this point, there still was a ton of racism uh In Germany, in fact, she was trying to... She sought permission to perform at the Salzburg Festival in 1935. And she was denied permission to sing. But because she was already so popular, she showed up anyway to the festival. And the first night of the festival, she sang at this... um, at this smaller concert hall to like a super small number of listeners who already kind of knew who she was and and really loved her. But then like the word spread like wildfire. And people started coming to see her at the smaller venues. then they started moving her to to bigger venues like a hotel ballroom. And then there were like hundreds of people showing up just to see her act of defiance and her amazing singing voice. So she really kind of like, Fuck you to the to the festival administration and showed up anyway. And nice. she was like one of the biggest hits of the festival. So
1: <laughs> take that.
0: She Yeah she, she, She's amazing. So I um so anyway, uh, and then in later in 1935, um, there's uh she has at this point she's had a manager that's kind of been managing her stuff in Europe and in, in the US so far. But in 1935, a different guy offers her a better contract and she takes it and he convinces her to come back to the United States. He's like, "It's time to come back to the states. You've done really well in Europe, but I think the states is ready for you." So, she does. She comes back to the states. She sings at Town Hall in New York City. She gets rave reviews. She starts she kicks off a, another US tour. Um, but she still is facing the same issues as before. She's not allowed to stay in some hotels. She's not allowed to eat in certain restaurants. She has to like eat in the kitchens half the time, like of the, like of the hotel. They don't want to see, they don't want to see a black person like in the white areas, which is ridiculous. Cause she's this, at this point, she's this highly lauded singer, right? Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1937, she's denied a hotel room before she performs at Princeton university. And Albert Einstein is like, Mm, why don't you just come stay with me? (laughs) He, like, offers up his house. He's like, just come stay with me. And apparently, I didn't know this about him, but apparently he was... He, like, really was this, like, pro-tolerance. Like, he really was this anti-racist figure. So when, when she encountered all of this opposition he was like no stay with me and they became friends and then she always <laughs> ended up staying with him when she would go through town and even right before he died in 1955 she saw him like right before then so there was like wow. "I love this little like nugget of a story that like her and albert <laughs> einstein like became buddies
1: <laughs> yeah um, i never so... would i mean it, it's nice to hear positive things about einstein after the maleva merrick's <laughs> episode uh, yeah,
2: it,
0: doesn't, it doesn't erase it right it doesn't a stuff, it doesn't, but it's you know. it's
1: nice to hear like the good things,
0: yeah, <laughs> Albert, like I guess he had like some good a couple good qualities after all, yeah,
1: fought against racism is a is a pretty good one <laughs> <laughs> or at least offered safe haven for people of color, even if I mean it was just the celebrity ones, <laughs>
0: yeah. But, uh, so anyway, uh, she's toured around the U S and then this big, so this, one of this like sh- shining crowning events, which is what she is most widely known for uh, s- widely and second widely known for, um, is the Lincoln Memorial concert, which is maybe how you heard about her if you heard about her at all. Um, so the, the background of the story is that, uh, I think it was Howard. Oh, I forgot to write down the name of the school, invites her to sing. I think it was Howard University. Um, They invite her to come and sing a concert for them. And at this point, she's been drawing huge crowds and she needs a larger venue than what the university has. Um, And so they they start, her and her managers are looking around for different venues that they can can use, that they can get permission to use. So first they, uh, this is in Washington, D.C. So they, petitioned the school board, the Washington, D.C. Board of Education, to perform in an auditorium of one of the white public high schools. And the Board of Education's like, no, no, you can't perform there. So they try to book uh, the other biggest hall in D.C. at the time, which is uh, Constitution Hall. But the Constitution Hall is controlled by the D.A.R., the Daughters of the American Revolution. So the D.A.R. denies their application because they have a, quote, white performers only policy, as well okay. as they don't actually have segregated bathrooms, which was the, the law back uh, back then. You had to have segregated bathrooms in that. The space didn't. So they deny her application to sing. Uh, and almost immediately, Charles Edward Russell, who's one of the co-founders of the NAACP, forms the Marian Anderson Citizens Committee and they pick at the Board of Education and they start collecting signatures for a petition and they plan a mass protest at the next Board of Education meeting um, and they start to, to accrue a lot of attention and media attention about this. And the fury kind of grows and grows as it should. And thousands of DAR members start resigning including Eleanor Roosevelt. And uh, in a letter that she writes to, to the DAR leadership, she says, quote, I am in complete disagreement with the attitude taken in refusing Constitution Hall to a great artist. You had an opportunity to lead in an enlightened way, and it seems to me your organization has failed.
2: Yes, Eleanor. And she,
0: and she quits the DAR. Uh, and, and she goes one better... She asks her husband, the President of the United States of America, <laughs> to work with Walter White, who's the at that time the Executive Secretary of the NAACP, and Marion's manager, to convince the Secretary of the Interior, Harold Ikes, to organize an open-air concert on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Cool. So, fuck, the, fuck these indoor venues. Mm-hmm. Let's just do it <laughs> on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And so... So they, they do. They they figure it out. And they hold this outdoor concert on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on Easter Sunday, April 9th, 1939. Wow. Um, it is attended by 75,000 people, black and white, all in the same, not roped off and shit like that, all in the same area. And it plays on national radio to millions of millions of people hear Marian Anderson sing on the radio. I love this. um, I know we don't usually play clips, except I'm the only one who breaks the rules. (laughs) Um, Just because I'm not
2: tech savvy enough to really figure out how.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I haven't, I don't think I've, I've covered anyone who even like had a clip yet well
0: when we have the click clips it's just so it's just so glorious
1: i love clips <laughs> <laughs> i do too give me a clip you know
0: i'm gonna give you the clip of the first song she sings because it's just
1: oh i definitely want to hear that is it is it from the is it recorded at the lincoln memorial it's like
0: so this is recorded at the lincoln memorial this is the this is what played on the radio mm. So she she sings much longer than that, but I don't know if you guys picked out. Did you notice anything different about the lyrics?
2: Mm -mm. No.
0: So she says instead of to the I sing, it's to the we sing. She brings together black and white. Seventy-five thousand people in this kind of like unification that hadn't really ever happened on a mass scale, like like from the entertainment perspective and, and in general, um, and she recognized the gravity of that moment and she just embraced it and flew with it and she she did that herself. Nobody told her to do it. You know, she she was she <laughs> she, she changed the lyrics and I just I just love that. Um, so she you know. Millions of people watch that, so of course, she, she her career continues to explode after that. Um, two months later, Eleanor Roosevelt awards her the Springer Medal for Distinguished Achievement at the 30th NAACP Conference during World War II and the Korean War. Marion tours around to entertain the troops. And then in 1943, the DAR... <laughs> I love this. The DAR invites her to sing at Constitution Hall to an integrated audience as part of their benefit for the Red Cross.
2: Does she tell them to shove it? I really hope so. <laughs> I hope so, too.
0: She does not. She does not tell them to oh, shove it. the she, class act. I, I, I just love the white women She's trying better to... Than me. It's like the white women are like, we better cover our asses because we really <laughs> fucked up a couple years ago. Let's invite her to sing. But she does sing. At Constitution Hall. And there's a quote from her where she says, quote, When I finally walked onto the stage of Constitution Hall, I felt no different than I had in other halls. There was no sense of triumph. I felt it was a beautiful concert hall, and I was very happy to sing there. End quote. A side note, though, the the D.C. Board of Education continued to bar her. They still wouldn't let her perform in their school auditoriums at this point. So the D.A.R., like, the white women figured out, like, oh, we fucked that shit up, we better fix this. But still, the Board of Education of Washington, D.C. was like, no, no black people. Oh, God. Bullshit. 1943.
2: Mm -hmm. Here's a question. What do the daughters of the American Revolution, like, what do they do? Is it a... What's what's the point of the group?
0: Well, they... God, you know what? They are... I don't know the huge history of them, but that is an organization that has been around since the founding of our country. And it was like women who Mm -hmm. supported the war efforts and they helped to sew the flags back in the Revolutionary War. Um, And they've been around forever. And it's this like old blood proprietary, like to be a member of the DAR. Like I don't... It's like
2: blue, kind of blue blood and like maybe they just get together and feel philanthropic
0: it's it's like. It's especially like the wealthy, influential families on the East Coast who are, have been around generations. Like it's written into oh my gosh, I was I've been rewatching. This is a total non sequitur, but I've been rewatching um, the West Wing, and there's this whole thing where they where Zoe, their daughter, becomes a member she's inducted into the dar and there's this episode i don't remember this episode but it's not a joke like it it really exists and it's it's been a huge part of maybe they're worth a broads episode but this doesn't make me want to do an episode on them at all because well i've always
2: heard about them but it always just kind of sounded like one of those things you're like okay whatever you know and um they just kind of sound like they'd be a bunch of bitches, but I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> it's just, it's what
1: it my, sounds like. My assumption, my <laughs> assumption from the title was that it was exclusively white women who probably didn't understand racism whatsoever. Sure. I mean, yeah. Which they was probably racist. true for a like, super long time. This story proves they're be. Racist.
0: <laughs> But at right. least they, at least a couple years later, they were like, fucked up we should try and they try they try i'll give them like yeah. the white woman right. try credit but not full credit right <laughs> right yes <laughs> you get you get
1: half credit
0: um so actually around this same period of time uh in on july 17th 1943 Marion marries mary's orpheus h fisher um apparently they he had told her that he wanted to marry her back when they were like teenagers when they were kids so finally in 1943 so this is already after the the concert uh at lincoln memorial and all that they finally get married um and i think he had actually had been married previously and and had a child so she has a stepchild now and they buy a hundred acre farm in danbury connecticut and they end up living there almost 50 years And Orpheus builds her an acoustic rehearsal studio and all these other buildings on the property. Um, And this was becomes kind of Marion's home base the rest of her life. But she didn't want to be a celebrity. It was this little small Connecticut town. And they always, you know, restaurants and things would try to like, Compre a meal because she's a local celebrity. And she never wanted that. She just wanted kind of this small town life. So between all of these big touring gigs, she went back to her little town in Connecticut the farm that she owned with her husband and she, she, I just love this like cute little side note about her.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And now happens the other huge milestone in her career, which is Marian becomes the first black person to sing at the Met. She sings at the oh. Metropolitan Opera in New York in uh, January 7th, 1955, January 7th, also my birthday. Um, <laughs> she sings at the Met, <laughs> not in 1955. I'm not that old. <laughs> She said later, quote, the curtain rose on the second scene and I was on stage mixing the witch's brew. I trembled and when the audience applauded and applauded before I could sing a note, I felt myself tightening into a knot. <laughs> she was like Aww. so nervous. She was so that's nervous so to cute. sing at the Met. She sings so many places in front of so many audiences and she was nervous at the Met. Um, the Met actually makes her a permanent member of the company, but she never actually performs there again. She just does this one performance wow. there.
2: Oh. Wow.
0: And at this point, she's getting kind. Of, she's getting like a little bit old. This is like towards the end of her performance career. She lives a lot longer, but she doesn't perform a lot longer. She does sing, though, a, a bit more. So in, she sings for like all of these inaugurations. She sings for Eisenhower's inauguration. She ends up singing for Kennedy's inauguration. And I, Eisenhower actually sends her as a Goodwill ambassador to do a tour in India and the Far East. And she does 24 concerts in 12 weeks, traveling over 35,000 miles. Um, And then Eisenhower also appoints her as a delegate to the UN Human Rights Committee. So she ends up kind of doing, she ends up kind of like segueing at this point into like, she's doing a lot more kind of goodwill and like human rights work, which is really cool. Um, She sings, like I said, she sings for Kennedy's inauguration. That's 1961. Um, she does a bunch of benefit concerts for the Civil Rights Movement, for the NAACP, and all these other organizations. And then in 1963, 1963 is a huge year for her. Um, she sings at the March on Washington. She receives the Presidential Medal of Freedom, uh, which the Medal of Freedom is awarded for, a, quote, especially meritorious contributions to the security of national interest of the United States, world peace. Or cultural, or other significant public or private endeavors, so she she gets one of those a Presidential Medal of Freedom, and she releases an album called Snoopy Cat, the Adventures of Marian Anderson's Cat Snoopy, <laughs> <laughs> which is apparently about her cat her her black cat. She like re- releases an album about her black cat. I love it.
1: <laughs> so she was she was a cat lady.
0: <laughs> yes, and then this is Good also the know. year. Um, She also ends up um, in 1960, she starts, um, 1963 starts her farewell tour, and she ends it two years later. uh, She begins her tour at Constitution Hall in 1964 and ends it at Carnegie Hall on April 18th, 1965. And then she officially retires from singing because she has sung a lot. So
1: long Um,
0: time. She still does a few little things when she's retired, and she's won uh, uh, and awarded tons of awards. Uh, including a Grammy Award for Lifetime Achievement, which was in 1991. Um, in 84, she got the Eleanor Roosevelt Human Rights Award. Um, she has like 24 honorary doctoral degrees from a bunch of different universities. Uh, in 1980, the United States Treasury coins a half-ounce gold commemorative medal with her likeness on it. So she's another coin broad, kind of. I love it. <laughs> Our second one. So, we haven't had another coin broad since Sakagawa, I think, right?
2: Yeah, I don't think so.
1: Not that I've checked. In uh,
0: 1986, Orpheus dies after 43 years of marriage. Uh, and Marion continues to live at the farm until 1992, and she goes to live with her nephew in Portland because she's just kind of getting up in years. And uh, I, think, I think when you get to that certain point, you just need to have a little bit of more help around you, getting around and all that. Um, and then uh, in, on April 8, 1993, at the age of 96, she dies of congestive heart failure.
1: 96. After It's
0: a good long this life. After huge career. Yeah. She did she, a lot. She did a lot. And I, like, I didn't even list half of, you know, there's like a million more concerts and notable things she did and barriers she broke when it came to racism and civil rights and being able to sing and perform. And she just was a fucking class act. And she was this incredible singer. And I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. She's abroad. I'm so glad to know. Now, what about you guys? You think she's abroad?
2: Oh yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: To the badass broad. To
0: the we sing. <laughs> mm. So that's Marian Anderson, folks. The newest broad you should know. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, if you enjoy our podcast, we've got a website, we've got Instagram, it's all ad broads you should know. Super easy to remember, guys. We would love if you would leave us some reviews. You know, reviews are really, really good for us. They help other people discover more broads. So leave us a review, and we'll love you forever. If you want to suggest a broad to us ever, you can do that on our website. And if you're interested in
1: and pimp the pimp the the, the database, you got it. You got a search function on there. Jupiter Ooh, just showed it to uh, search function. showed it to yeah. <laughs> Jupiter showed it to her audience on one of her live streams, and they were all like, "Oh my god, this is so cool!" What like they love, they loved it. Oh my gosh, so- you're making
0: me blush. Yeah, yeah, if you visit our website, broadsyoushouldknow.com, we put all of our broads up into a broads database, um, and you can search, um, you know, by time period, by country, part of the world... Um, and you can search by a bunch of different tags and things like that, and you can just discover a bunch of awesome women that you may have never heard of before, or maybe you have heard of them. I'm working on transcribing all of our podcasts, which is a slow process, but eventually um, our transcriptions are going to be up there too, so check it out, broadsyoushouldknow.com. If you like hearing me talk... <laughs> <laughs> I'll do a personal plug. Um you can always hit me up on Instagram at Sarah Gorsky. That's S-A-R-A-G-O-R-S-K-Y. And I have a website, saragorsky.com too. I'm an actor. I do other podcasts and films and things like that. I've got um the my most recent short film, Stairs, is actually doing really great uh in the horror festival circuit right now. It's like a yeah. micro short, it's like three minutes long. And it's like me being stuck on the stairs and it's kind of amazing. It's like an Escher painting. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> it's really fun. Um, that sounds delightful. Yeah. So that's, you know, a lot of, a lot of the other projects in the works, uh, Quarantine projects, as you will.
1: If you are at all interested in checking out any of my other podcasts or other work on the internet, I have another podcast called Modern Eyes with Sky and Stone, which is a film review podcast where we look at movies from 10 or more years ago with modern eyes, which means we talk about race and gender and politics, and we try to modernize the film if it were to be remade today. I also have a podcast called Sky and Stone Do Television, which is our television review show. So far, we have covered Euphoria, Watchmen, and Lovecraft Country, with more to come. And you can check out my blog, where I write about being trans or uh, Star Trek or all anything else that I happen to be thinking about at the, t- at the time, at the moment that I'm writing, uh, at ChloeJadeSky.com.
2: My uh, husband and I wrote a short called Dickie and B, and that has been accepted into the Los Angeles Liftoff Festival, which, due to COVID, is completely online, which is awesome mm. because that means that you can go online. We can all watch it! And you guys can Yay. all watch it. And what's incredibly cool is that the festival is doing a pass. So you can pay a very small amount and you can watch like a week's worth of shorts and independent films and un- watch it all online. You can vote for things. So check out the Los Angeles Off Festival. And also you can check us out at Dickie and B, which is D-I-C-K-I-E-A-N-D-B-E-A.
0: Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate you. Leave us a review, hit us up with some feedback, and we'll see you next week for another Broad You Should Know.